Well, on the outskirts of a small town, there was this big old pecan tree that sat in a, an old cemetery. And um, there were a couple of boys who had gone in there to, to pick up all the nuts that were on the ground. And they had taken a bucket in there and they'd filled this bucket up with the pecans. And, and while they were filling the bucket up, several of the pecans rolled uh, down a little hill slope toward, toward the cemetery fence. And, and uh, at any rate, they continued to fill the bucket up. And so they're, they're distributed. After the bucket's full, they are going to split the, the pecans up. And so one of the little boys is counting them out. He said, one for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. It just so happens another little boy is riding past the cemetery on his bicycle at the time. And he thinks he hears something, so he stops. He gets off of his bicycle, and he begins to try to hear. And in fact, he does hear, and he hears, one for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. And he suddenly thinks, I know what's going on. He jumped on his bike. He heads back in the other direction. He rounds the corner. And when he does, he comes up on an older man who is walking with a cane and just kind of hobbling along. And he says, Mr., he says, you've got to come to the cemetery with me. He said, you're not going to believe what's going on. And he said, I heard it with my own ears. And the old man said, beat it, kid. I'm, I, I, can't you see? I can barely walk. And, and, but the kid persisted. No, you've got to come. You've got to, see, you've got to hear this. And so he persuades the man. They walk back up near the cemetery. And sure enough, they hear voices. And he, the, the little boy said to him, the devil and God are dividing up the souls in the cemetery. <laughs> and so... He starts listening, and sure enough, he hears, one for me, one for you. One for me, one for you. And he says, son, you were telling me the truth. And so they try to peer around, see if they can see God. They wanted to see if they could see God in this process. They couldn't, and, but they're, they're leaned up near the fence, holding on, trying to get a glimpse of whatever's going on. And then all of a sudden, they hear this statement, all right. That's all of them, except those nuts over by the fence. (laughs) Let's go get them and we'll be finished. (laughs) According to the report, that that, um, wobbly old man beat that boy on the bicycle back to the uh, the town by five minutes. (laughs) Well, I want to tell you this morning, the resurrection means something. It means we don't have to be afraid of the enemy or the cemetery. We don't have to be afraid uh, of the grave any longer. And now I know this has been an unusual year, an unusual year for all of us. I mean, uh, so many people have been captured by by fear, fear of sickness and and fear of death and fear of the future, what's coming. And there's still some of that out there. But as we gather here today, we don't assemble on this Sunday to talk about our fears, and we don't gather to talk about defeat. We gather to talk about our faith. We gather to talk about life and eternity. We gather today to announce and declare the victory that is available to all who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and as a result are the victors over the grave. That's what we've gathered here for today. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, because I live, you shall live also. And this morning, I want to talk with you about how important the resurrection is. I've entitled the message, No Other Name. You'll understand that when I conclude. But if you're physically able to do so, I invite you to stand with me this morning as we read our our text from chapter four, verse one, book of Acts says this, 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them and greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus, look at this, the resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to come back to that, so remember that. And and they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John uh, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, look at this, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, uh, which Uh, the builders, which has become now the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you that Jesus conquered the grave. And because uh, he lives, we live. And we will live forevermore because of the salvation that is secured in him. We pray this morning, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts, that you'll convict us, that you'll challenge us, that you'll confront us, that you'll correct us. And Father, you'll express your compassion upon us. We love you and we thank you for your everlasting love, your grace and your mercy. And now, Father, use your word in our hearts to change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Now, chapter four is a continuation of the narrative of chapter 3. In chapter 3, Peter and John are preaching. In fact, Peter's doing most of the preaching, to be honest, uh, through these early chapters of the book of Acts. And they, they heal a man that was lame. And this creates an incredible stir because the, the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all of this, they were not only the religious leaders, but they were the government And they basically, under the Roman authority, they kind of directed how things uh, operated. Well, when this man gets healed and he starts giving credit to Jesus, that causes more people to be interested in Jesus. And by the way, the church was exploding. They were adding 3,000 and 4,000. And here it says 5,000 men. Now, why does it say that? Does it mean 5,000 men and no women? No, it just means in that case, it's identifying the the head of the household, if you will. And so men plus women, uh, scholars believe, and children probably could have been somewhere in excess of 10,000 people added. And this was happening. And you can imagine it created a stir among these religious leaders. And so they finally say, get Peter and John in here. They arrested them. And they arrested them after hearing them preach the message of the resurrection. And uh, the interesting part about the message that they were delivering of the resurrection is it was countercultural. The culture that they were living in was very much like the culture you and I live in today. It was highly religious, but it wasn't highly accurate. And they were living in that culture and they were preaching the message of the resurrection and it was creating a stir. And so they said, we need to arrest these guys. Too many people are starting to follow them. 
You know, nothing has changed. 2,000 years later, here we are, and there are still so many people that want to undermine the resurrection. Why do they want to undermine the resurrection? Well, for the same reason that the high priests and the Sadducees and these religious leaders of the day did, because they understand something, that the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. In fact, if you go back to the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection in Matthew, you find out when, when the tomb was emptied and they realized, the authorities realized the tomb was empty and they couldn't account for Jesus, the, the linens were there in the tomb and the tomb emptied, the stone rolled away, the soldiers had, uh, uh, had, uh, were, were, were uh, questioned about their responsibility, all of that kind of stuff. Guess what? Guess what the high priest did? He said, we cannot let this news get out. And he concocted a conspiracy. Here's what you tell people if they say, oh, Jesus, Jesus uh, w- uh, was raised from the dead. No, no, you tell them this. And they created this story and they said to these, these centurions, if you'll tell that story, then we will we'll not press uh, charges for dereliction of duty. But they couldn't keep the news because people, the Bible says more than 500 people saw Jesus with their eyes after the, the resurrection. They couldn't keep that news down. But they knew that if the news got out, it would create, uh, it would create chaos for them because so many people would be interested in God. It's still true today. And through the ages, skeptics have tried to downplay the resurrection because as, as Spurgeon said, it's the hinge of history. It is the hinge of history. The resurrection. And by the way, no resurrection, no Christianity. There, no resurrection, no victory over the grave. And the skeptics have done that and, and through the ages to downplay it because if they don't, it means they're responsible to Jesus. It means that Jesus was who he was. He was who exactly who he said he was. And so this morning, what I want to do uh, with this message about the resurrection is I want to show you three things. And I think uh, those three things will show you the power of the resurrection. The first thing I want you to see is found in verse 2 and verse 10 where he directly refers to the resurrection. That is, I want you to note that the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates us. It says they were proclaiming uh, in Jesus the resurrection. As I said, you can go back to, uh, a couple of chapters, you find Peter preaching again, and it refers to the message of the resurrection. They, listen to me. They were not preaching a message of here are five things to make you successful in life. They weren't preaching a message of uh, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. They weren't preaching a message of here are 10 biblical principles on how to be uh, successful or popular. They weren't preaching that. I'm not saying there's never a place for that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they cut to the chase and the message they were preaching is the message we're hearing and we're talking about today. And that is that Jesus Christ conquered the grave. That was meant. Why? Because that message changes everything. And they were preaching that message, the message of the resurrection. I was, I, I was thinking uh, early this morning, I was thinking, and I've been asked this before, if you could only preach one message, what would that message be? Now, thank, thank the Lord, I, I can preach a lot of messages, but if I could only preach one, or if they, if they asked me, what would be the final message you would preach? I was thinking early this morning, what would it be? It'd be the resurrection. It'd be the resurrection because everything, it's the hinge, as Spurgeon said, everything is different because of the res- resurrection. The resurrection separates us. The resurrection is revolutionary in how it changes our lives. Listen, it separates us from futility in life. 
It brings meaning to our being here. It assures us that there's meaning for our life, both now and beyond. It gives us purpose. In fact, Paul put it this way. He said, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Now, I I share that verse with you, but I didn't tell you what he'd been talking about, did I? Did you hear that? Therefore, anytime in the Bible you see the word therefore, always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And therefore means based on what I just said to you. Do you know what? Before he says, therefore, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Look, if if this was all we had, if life was, this was it, if after we die, this was it, then life would be pretty futile. And there were those who believed it was, and the atheist believes that it is, and so they say, just get the best out of life you can right now, because now we eat, sleep, drink, and and be merry, because tomorrow we die and it's over. It would be futile, wouldn't it? But the resurrection changed that. So when Paul says, therefore, here's what he's addressed, he had just spent the entire passage before that affirming the resurrection. He had just been saying, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection, we have life. Because of the resurrection, we have victory. He had just been saying that. And then he says, at the end of that discourse, he says, therefore. In other words, because of the resurrection, our lives aren't futile. Be steadfast, uh, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. It has purpose. I'll tell you, the resurrection of Christ separates us from hopelessness and death, too. It points to a glorious future with Christ. It does mean that this is not the end. I've shared this, uttered this in uh, in many memorial services, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, was was hanged uh, 10 days before the end of World War II. And it was really done out of spite on Hitler's part. He had opposed Hitler as a theologian and on biblical grounds. Hitler didn't like it, imprisoned him for the most of the war, and then had him hanged 10 days before the war was over. And as he's, uh, uh, history tells us, as his Nazi captors came, led him uh, out of the prison, headed to the gallows, that, that Bonhoeffer looked at them, and he's, he looked off in the distance at the gallows, and he said, for you, this is the end, but for me, it is but the beginning. And it really is true. That's what the resurrection does. It separates us from the hopelessness of death. Jesus, before he uh, uh, was crucified, he gathered his disciples together. And we we hear this discourse he has with them in John 14, 15, 16, and his high priestly prayer in 17. And in that, he starts off by saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be with me also. What was he talking about? He was talking about not hopelessness. He was talking about the hope of the future. And he was talking about after he would be raised from the dead, that he would ascend to the Father, which he did. And that he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going ahead of you. This isn't a hopeless kind of thing. I'm going in front of you. It separates us, the resurrection does, from the hopelessness of death. But I'll tell you third, it separates us from despair and death too. Death is a difficult thing. We grieve when we lose a loved one. We, we grieve at the loss of loved ones. But we, listen, because of the resurrection, we don't grieve for them. We grieve for us. And that's okay. Jesus grieved for his friend. He, he grieved for Lazarus. We don't grieve for them. They're better. But we grieve for us because we'll miss them. But we don't live in despair because we know that Christ has given us victory over the grave. 
In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians that 15, the chapter I was just referring to where he affirms the, the, the resurrection. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, if in this life only we have in, uh, hope in Christ, he says, we are of all people most to be pitied. He said, it's a pitiful thing if, if only in this life you have hope in Christ. And wouldn't it have been sad if he had to stop there? But he didn't stop there. He goes on to add, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the resurrection. He says, so if, if all we had was hope in this life, we'd be pitiful people. How sad. Well, this is, a, you know, this is the best it gets, you know. But he said, but thank God it doesn't. It doesn't end here. We don't have to live our lives in despair. Why? Because thank God that he gives us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ over the grave. St. Martin's Churchyard in Bladen is where Winston Churchill is buried. Uh, Churchill is one of my favorite historical characters. And as you go into the, the cemetery there at St. Martin's, uh, they have what they call a, a lich gate. I don't know if you've ever heard of a lich gate. Let me tell you what a lich gate is if you hadn't. We don't see too many of them unless they're real old cemeteries here in America. But a lich gate was kind of like a... Um, a gazebo kind of entry into the cemetery. And so uh, there it had, uh, you know, a little portico. And it was really in the old days, the pallbearers would go there until the casket arrived. And it was a place for them to sit before leading. Well, they waited on the minister and the minister would then, they would take the casket and then he would lead them on through that place. So it's a resting place until the minister led them on through uh, uh, to the cemetery or wherever they were going to be. Well, church, there's a lich gate. Uh, there at the cemetery at Bladen, where Churchill, and it has an inscription on the lich gate. Listen to this. It says, I know that my redeemer lives. I know that my redeemer lives. So when you look at that lich gate, you see this, uh, this engraving. Oh yeah, but there's only one thing. You don't see it when you're going in the cemetery because it's not on the front apex of the lich gate. It's on the back lich gate. Uh, apex of the lich gate so that you see it when you're leaving the cemetery. I know that my redeemer lives. That's what the resurrection does. So you can, and I, we walk out of the cemetery knowing that our redeemer lives. We have a deathless redeemer. The resurrection means our past is forgiven. The resurrection means our present is empowered and the resurrection means our future is secure. And so it separates us from so many in our world who have no hope, who have only despair uh, at death. That's what the resurrection has done for us. It has given us the hope of, uh, of, of uh, Christ. It has given us the hope of an eternal future uh, with him in a prepared place. That's what it has done. You know, I've, I've used this on many occasions before. It's such a great uh, a thought. John Wesley said this about the world who has no hope, who uh, 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 death is the end for them. He said, uh, of, of you and I who know Christ. He said, they, the world, they may despise what we believe, but they have to admit we die well. We do because we know our Redeemer lives. And so it's not the end. And so the resurrection the resurrection of Jesus Christ separates us. But I want to tell you the second thing to, it, it, that we see as a result of the resurrection is it causes a choice to be made. There's a choice to be made because of the resurrection. In verse 11, he tells them that they'd made the wrong choice. There is uh, uh, 
uh, this Jesus whom he calls the stone that was rejected by them, the builders. And the second thing I want you to see then is the rejection of Jesus that devastates us. The rejection of Jesus is a devastating decision. They made the wrong decision. Back when the Old West was being settled, pioneers would flock across the country to California and to Oregon, and there were only a few pathways there that had been cut through by the wagons and those sorts of things. And on one of these particular pathways in the eastern Rockies, there was this mound of dirt, this rock and mound of dirt that was in the middle kind of of one of those roadways across the, the wilderness, and it had busted up wagon tires as they'd gone over it, and, and people had tripped over it, and and hurt themselves, all that sort of thing. And finally, somebody decided to dig the thing up, and there was a little creek uh, just not far from uh, the path there, and and they dug it up. Somebody did, and they they rolled it into the middle of that little creek. And people began to, when they needed to cross that creek, they just use it as a kind of a stepping stone, and they go across the creek and step across uh, that way. And why they didn't do it earlier, who knows, but they did. And uh, one of the settlers in the in the years that followed, decided to build a little cabin there on that, on that creek. And uh, in time, he decided uh, he wanted that, that stone in the middle. He wanted it out more decorative than anything, and he wanted it up near his house on the porch. And, and so he, he uh, extracted the stone, they moved it up onto the porch, and there it sat for years. He had a grandson that had gone east to study geology. And that grandson uh, became a geologist, and he, on an occasion, was returning to check on his granddad and see his granddad, and he was there at the house. And since he was now a geologist, he, started, he thought, that's an interesting stone. He needed to practice a little bit. He began to, um, to investigate that stone, and when he did, he found out that it was more than just a, a lump of dirt and rock. The stone actually was the largest pure gold nugget ever discovered on the eastern slope of the Rocky Mountains. And it had been there for three generations. It had just sat there like a doorstop for three generations because no one recognized its value. To some, it had been a stumbling block, remember? To others, it had been a stepping stone across that creek but it had value that they never even fully understood. It took someone who understood stones to understand how really valuable it was. I want to tell you, do you know what? That's what's going on right here. uh, Peter is saying the stone, you didn't recognize the value of the stone. To some, it is a stumbling block, Paul writes and says, but to others, it is salvation. And he's saying to these these scribes and uh, the high priest, And their entourage, you don't understand the value of the stone that Jesus was. And he was nothing more to them than a stumbling stone. They were so close. I mean, they were right around him, but they only saw him as a stumbling stone. In fact, that's why they're on trial right here, because they didn't see the value in who Jesus Christ was. They rejected everything about Jesus. They rejected his messianic message. And because of that, they missed out on his abundant plan for their life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Because they missed the message, they missed out on the abundant life. You see, the death of Christ was not to restrict our life. The death of Christ was to restore our lives. 
before Jesus utters a word uh, came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, he said, the thief, however, comes to steal, kill, and destroy you. You see, the devil wants you to believe that God is an angry, restrictive, vindictive, heavenly ogre who just now exists to punish wrong and, and to take revenge out on his creation. That nothing, that's what the devil wants you to believe about him. But the message of the cross and the message of the empty tomb, let me tell you what that is. That is the message that says, I'm not out to get you. I'm out to redeem you. I'm out to restore you. It is a message that says, I love you. 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 That's the message of the cross. Not wait till I get my hands on you. I'm going to take my vengeance out on you. That's not the message of the cross. That's not the message of the tomb. The message of the tomb is a message of love. The son of God saying, I love you so much. I'll give my life for you. I'll conquer the grave for you so that you will have hope beyond this life. They rejected that message. They rejected Jesus' work on the cross as well. And they uh, consequently uh, missed his redemptive plan. Now listen to me very carefully this morning. God does not send a person to hell. Do you know that? God does not send a person to hell. By the way, your sin won't send you to hell. Do you know that? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for part of the sins of the world, right? No. He died for all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He died for all of them. Your problem isn't sin. Jesus has taken care of the sin. Now, don't walk out of here and say, well, preacher down there at Ridgecrest said, we can just sin all we want because that's not a problem anymore. <laughs> you come see me if you start that stuff because you do have a problem we need to talk about. But it's not sin that sends us a person to hell. You know what sends a person to hell? Is rejecting what Jesus did for them on the cross. Saying, I don't care what he did. I, I refuse. And that's what they were doing. They rejected the work of the cross. They said that they thought good riddance. And so they rejected the, the work of God on, on the cross. And third, they rejected Jesus' resurrection. And so they missed out on the daily power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll go into the whole world. That's what that says. They rejected the resurrection. Now, they were afraid it would happen. And that's why when Jesus died, they said, you put him in the tomb, you seal him up because there's rumor that he's not going to stay there. They put centurion, Roman guards there, all of that sealed the stone, rolled it up a hill, uh, I mean, uh, down a hill to, to make sure it couldn't be rolled, all of that kind of stuff. That's what they did. They were going to, we're going to make sure his body stays in the tomb. So they were worried about it, all right? But um, God wasn't, of course. Was, uh, that was, none of that was a big deal to God. But they missed the power. And see, the power that brought him out of the tomb was the power that when Jesus said to them, now you go and wait on me in Jerusalem, and I'm going to endow you with power, the Holy Spirit power, that power is the result of the resurrection. Did you know Paul tells us this? Paul tells us that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit power that operates in a Christian that accesses the power of the Spirit of God over their life. It's the very same power, the Spirit of God. And I want you to know that the power you need to live today can only be found in Jesus because of the resurrection. 
And so why did he send them there to wait? Because he was going to the Father. And he said, listen to this, he said, it is imperative that I go to the Father because if I don't go to the Father, I cannot send the Father, I mean the Spirit, back to you. So it's important that I go. And he says, you need the Spirit to live. You need his power to live. And it's resurrection power. And you need that power because I have been with you, but he will be in you. Distinct difference. And he said, so you wait until that power comes down, and then you will go out. And listen, they changed the world, and there were uh, effects. There's only one thing designed to fill and empower your soul. Only one thing. It is the Spirit of God. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century mathematician, he was a genius. He was a prodigy. He was an inventor. Um, He was a physicist. He was uh, a writer. He was a theologian. And he had this statement which he said that... uh, Uh, Man is designed in such a way to only house uh, the Spirit of God, and nothing else will fill his soul. He said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the soul of every human, and only God himself can fill that. Well, that's exactly what the resurrection made possible for us, is to be filled with resurrection power because... Resurrection power is Holy Spirit power. Resurrection power is Jesus power. And it is the power that will fill your soul and give you strength to navigate life the way you're supposed to travel. Rejecting Jesus and his resurrection power is not only tragic, listen, it is devastating to your eternal future. And then last, I want to show you this. I want you to see the reception of Jesus liberates us. The Rejection of Jesus, I just said, devastates us. But the reception of Jesus liberates us. I love verse 12. I think it's one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's one of the greatest all-time verses in Scripture. Listen, Jesus is not a good way to heaven. Jesus is not the best way to heaven. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's not just a good way. That's what the world says. I did a recent message on the myths, and the world says, oh, one way is as good as another. That's not what the Scripture says. The way is open to all, but the way is narrow. The way is narrow because Jesus said, few be that find it. But he said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And right here, the same is being said. There's salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. But the reception of Jesus liberates us. You, you remember Peter, don't you? Y'all, y'all remember Peter, and you, you probably know some things. Unfortunately, Peter is often remembered for some things I'm sure he probably would rather not be remembered for. You know, like denying Jesus after saying, I'll never deny you if everybody else departs you. It won't be me. Y'all, y'all remember that? He denied Jesus. And three times on the, the night of Jesus' arrest, and one time it was a little girl came up to him and said, aren't you, don't, aren't you a follower of Jesus? He said, you know, uh, this little girl caused him to say, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I don't even know the man. It, we, that's what we, you know, we, if you probably ask people out there, they'd all first say, oh, the denial, right? 
But what happened to Peter? This is Peter preaching here. <laughs> if you go back a couple of times, that's Peter preaching there. This guy's bold all of a sudden. Why? He's full of the Holy Spirit, it says in our passage. He's, he's full. And you know why he's full of the Holy Spirit? Because of the resurrection. And you see, the resurrection changed. Peter changed all the disciples. Remember when Jesus was crucified, they went into hiding? Peter, this big, rugged fisherman, John, this rugged fisherman, these guys who, who were rough around the edges suddenly are cowering in fear with the others. They're all in hiding because of the cruise. And not, we don't need to identify with him because the same consequences may come to us. And listen, now this same Peter that was in hiding is full of the Holy Spirit. And he's preaching the message of the resurrection to the very people that crucified Jesus. And he's preaching with great, what happened? What happened? Why is he doing that? Why is he preaching with, I'll tell you, and the others were too. Did you know out of those, those disciples, only one of them did not die a martyr's death? And that was John who wrote Revelation and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. They couldn't kill him. Why? Because God wasn't finished with him. They tried, by the way. They tried to kill him too because he was just as bold as all the others. They, they tried to kill him by burning him alive in a vat of oil and he wouldn't burn. It was just like a skin conditioning thing for him. And they, they tried to kill him. Peter, remember Peter? Bold Peter. Peter who would help take the gospel. Peter who helped form the church of Jerusalem. That Peter, that scaredy cat, not anymore. Why? Because once they had seen Jesus Christ come out of that tomb, once, once they had seen him, once they knew that he was alive, there was no way you could stop them. There was no one who could intimidate them because they were now absolutely certain that Jesus was the prince of life, that he had been raised from the dead, just like he said, and he was the living Savior. What have we to fear? That's what they felt. These apostles were not preaching facts about a dead Christ. So how do you explain the early church? What was happening? 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people being added uh, at a time. How do you explain it? Peter boldly declaring the resurrected Jesus Christ, even to those who opposed him. And by the way, if tradition, Christian history and tradition is correct, and we have no reason to doubt it, Peter died a, a martyr's death by being crucified. But before he was crucified, he said to those who crucified him, I am not worthy to die like my master died. And he asked them to invert his cross and crucify him upside down. He said, I'm not even worthy to die the way my Lord. What had happened? No fear in death anymore. No fear of identifying with Jesus Christ. I'm sure he didn't want to be crucified, but he had no fear of death. And he didn't fear death because he knew his Savior lived. And because Christ lived, he knew that death was the doorway into the glorious future that God had promised. You cannot explain away the resurrection of Jesus. History tells us that these apostles paid for their faith with their lives. Now listen, uh, people may live for a lie, but few people will willingly die for one they may live for one, but they will rarely die for one. If they know it's a lie, they, they won't die for it. Hypocrites and martyrs are not made of the same stuff. They're just not. I don't know if you uh, read my column today, and if you did, I, I, I talk about an occasion some years ago when they discovered some bone fragments of Buddha's fingers. 
And they took those bone fragments and they gave them to um, one of the Chinese dynasties uh, as a gift. And, uh, and they lost them again. But back about, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, maybe it is, they, they found them. They found these remains. And so they brought them out and they, they tried to make them an object of worship. And now hundreds and hundreds of Buddhists go to see the fingers, the, the remains, the bony remains of Buddha's uh, fingers. Now, if you go to try to find the remains of Jesus, the bony fingers of Jesus, you won't find them. Because he's not dead, he's alive. And you won't find that. We don't worship the remains of a Savior. We follow a living Savior, and it changed them because he was alive. Paul writes and says that Jesus was the first fruits of victory over the grave. That means no one before him had conquered the grave, but because he conquered the grave, then we too. He was first, then we shall follow because of the victory we have in him. Because he lives, you can live too. Because he is alive, you can be liberated from your captivity to sin. In a cemetery in Hanover, Germany, it's an interesting thing that happened years ago. A, a woman who did not believe in the resurrection. She had them do something with her tomb. When she was buried, she had it in her, her will, I guess it was, the instructions for how to bury her. And they were to cover the, the remains her, after they put the dirt over the casket with massive granite stones and marble. And the inscription on the tomb said, this tomb is to never be opened. And these massive stones of granite were there. And not only that, then they took metal uh, 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 straps, iron straps, and they strapped it across those granite stones and secured them together into the ground where they could never be disrupted. Uh, uh, and so it would remain according to her wishes. But little, to them, little known to them was that there was a seed underneath that, that granite. It was a seed of a tree. And that seed over the years began to push up out of the ground. And it pushed and it pushed and it began to sprout. And in time, it began to form roots. And those roots, they did what no man had done. They caused those straps to buckle and to break and eventually to uh, crumble and jumble up those huge, massive granite stones. Just a little seed, but great power. It opened up that tomb. But I want to tell you, 2,000 years ago, it wasn't just a little seed. It was the great and mighty power and hand of God that opened up the tomb, that rolled the stone, by the way, up a hill, a stone that weighed more than two, uh, 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 two tons, up a hill it rolled. Grave clothes were left inside, and a Savior walked out. You know, if the devil had have understood what was going on, he would have never stood for it. He thought he was finishing God off. He thought when Jesus said, it is finished, that it was finished. He didn't understand that when Jesus said it's finished, what was finished was paying the debt for our sin. That's what was finished. <laughs> He could have just as well said, it is finished, 
And now it's beginning. Because three days, the tomb was opened. The devil had tried to take, take Jesus down. The authorities tried to seal him up. The grave clothes tried to bind him. The soldiers tried to keep him in. And the skeptics have, through the ages, tried to explain it away. But friend, listen, when God released his power, he unleashed his son. The resurrection reveals his power over the grave. But it also means that that power is available to all of us in this place today. This morning, I want to say something to you. I want you to hear this. If the devil has tried to take you down or has taken you down, it's time to rise up in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is time to rise up and walk in resurrected power in Jesus' name. Peter writes and says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept or reserved for you in heaven. That's what he did for you. And that's what the resurrection enables for your future. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about. This morning, before we're gone, I want to give you an opportunity to call on him. If you've never called on him, I, I'm not saying you know about him. My guess is you wouldn't be in this place today if you had no knowledge of who Jesus was. But there's a vast difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus personally. It may be the case for those of you who are joining us on live stream. You say, I know about him, but I, I don't know him. I, I led a young businessman to Christ some weeks ago who knew all about Christ, but he never met Christ. But he knows him now. And he prayed a prayer that I want to offer to you. You can just call on the Lord Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The resurrection has enabled victory. You can call him in your heart right now. Do something like this. Say, Lord Jesus... I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you and I can't fix myself. And I know you died for my sin. And so right now, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and be my Savior. There may be some of you in this place today or watching by live stream and you would say, you know, I know Christ, but I haven't been allowing the power of the Spirit of God to, to rule my life. And today, I want to say, Lord... Lord, I want the resurrection power. I surrender afresh to you so that your power may flow through me so that I can live, God, the way you created me to live and the way you've designed for me. Now, Lord, hear the prayers. I know you do. You've said you will. But hear these prayers offered up to you today. Many, Father, perhaps on live stream and in this live audience. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look this way before we're gone? 
I want to ask you to do something, live stream or here in this live audience. If you prayed a prayer to trust Christ as your Savior today, would you let us know about that? You say, is that important? Well, it is important. It really is important. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father. And here's how you can just let us know. Just text the word pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, to 334-384-8080. If you'll text, it'll be on your screen. If you're watching us by live stream, you'll see that number. Text that word pastor. Here in this audience, you can text it or you can use the tear-off panel that's on the back of your worship folder. And you can just give us some information uh, about you and then check that box on the back of that. Drop that in the offering basket as you leave. We'll take it from there. Or maybe you say, you know what? I want to join Ridgecrest. I want Ridgecrest to be my church home. You can do that. Text us the word join. Same number, 334-384-8080. Just text the word join. We'll take it from there. Or check that box on the, uh, the tear-off panel. Drop it in the offering baskets in this live audience. Either way, and we'll get it. We know what to do with it from there. We'd love to hear about your decision um, and hope you'll do that and take those next steps.